Hello, how is it going out there? Hope it's going pretty well. Hope everyone's having a good day, good start to your day as uh, you are listening to this podcast. Of course, this is the Focus Compounding Podcast. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside my co-founder here at Focus Compounding, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, like I always say, this is the audio part of our business. If you want to get access to our investing website where people blog about ideas, where we blog about ideas, lots of individual investors, professional investors, and people from all over the world, um, feel free to go to focuscompound.com and use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and they'll take some money off of your checkout price. So that is always good. You know what's been really surprising to me? Mm-hmm. is the reach of people that we actually have reached from all over the world. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, every time we see a new member um, join our website, it's always interesting to see where they live. And to my surprise, it's all over the place in little places that I didn't mm-hmm. even know existed. So I've been doing a lot of Googling lately yeah. <laughs> to see where these little countries are. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's been, I mean, it's been quite rewarding. Lots it, of Probably close to 50-50, like 50% of them are outside North America. Yeah, to my surprise. And I always, whenever I, I talk to people in person about focus compounding, mm-hmm. I always say how it's it's like the coolest thing in the world is talking to people from all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that that is really great. And, you know, we can't thank everybody enough for supporting us and supporting the website and being a part of the community. I uh, speak, I guess, on behalf of Jeff, too. It's been a lot of fun for us mm-hmm. and connecting with individuals. So other than that, we are going to be doing a, a investing topic uh, podcast today. We're going to be talking about the topic of catalysts. Yep. And catalysts, where does that term even come from? Is that, where is that, is that, is that a chemistry term? Yeah, sure. Yeah, a chemistry term yeah. when there's uh, some sort of reason for change. Basically or, a change agent, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously people refer to that in, in stocks, I mean, especially value stocks. People say, okay, well, what's the catalyst that's going to make the market mm-hmm. realize um, your investing thesis? Right. And sometimes, you know, stocks can stay cheap for a long time. So a lot of people are always thinking about what the potential catalyst could be. Right. Um, you know, and there's many different catalysts. So mm-hmm. what do you think... Um, you know, when you think of catalysts, what do you think about? So classic example of catalysts with um, two stocks that we wrote up recently on Focus Compounding. Um, one I wrote up, one someone, a member wrote up. So the member write-up was about, um, uh, actually both of them I wrote up. Yeah, yeah. both of them I wrote oh, yeah. up. <laughs> so um, uh, one was a timber company, mm-hmm. right? I wrote that one up. Cool. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, K-E-W-L is it. Cool. And uh, they had a proxy battle, and now the, the, um, uh, shareholder at Cornwall Capital that had owned 26% of the company mm-hmm. uh, did succeed in taking over the board. So that could cause changes because they're thinking about um, uh, strategic alternatives, thinking about selling the company, they're thinking about harvesting more timber, but they also um, may convert to a REIT and they may um, have a, a mine open on their land, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. those are all catalysts that could happen. And and a proxy battle is a good example. Like I invested many years ago in Barnes & Noble, they had a proxy battle. So that's a very common one that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I was going to mention is Pendril, which is uh, a stock that's net cash, or it was when I wrote it up. And so it was trading for less than the cash that they had. And the assumption there is that there would be a catalyst that they would buy something. Okay. So it looks like a cash pile, but eventually they're going to buy something to use their net operating loss carry forwards. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of what I mean by catalyst is that in one case we knew April whatever 
um, there would be a vote and it would go one way or the other. In the other case, we think there might be a catalyst, but it'll just happen one day. Sure. And that's what you have a lot with catalysts is those two kinds. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And do you think that, um, you know, and I guess talking about different sort of stocks and whatever in our last episode, mm -hmm. do you think Joel Greenblatt was so focused on special situations because it's pretty much a stock that has could have a catalyst attached to it? Well, that's an interesting one because I own spinoffs. Mm -hmm. So I probably, I don't know, uh, 65 or 70% of my portfolio or something is stocks that were spun off. I actually... In both cases, I guess it's the stock that stayed. Mm -hmm. I think so. B BWX Technologies and um, NACO, I think, were both the, the stock that stayed, not the spun-off part. Mm -hmm. But it's the same concept. Um, so that's a good example because some people think of spin-off sort of as a catalyst, mm -hmm. that there's going to be these changes, changes in management, changes in the business's direction, changes in capital allocation, all sure. these things, right, which could be the catalyst. Or it could be that the spin-off causes cheapness. Mm-hmm. And so is it that the spinoff is a way to look for an overlooked stock, like we talked about? Uh -huh. Or is it that the spinoff um, unleashes certain things that are a catalyst? It's or is it both? creating change. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Right. So that that's the thing that, um, and it's hard for like academics and stuff to unpack that is what is driving that mm -hmm. uh, to happen. Is it that there's changes that are happening there? There's sort of three things there too, because the other thing is that it's also just a symptom of a company that cares about shareholder value sure because the easiest thing is not to spin things off of course yeah right which obviously is good for shareholders you mm -hmm. would, i mean in theory right so it could be any of those things right mm -hmm. interesting and do you think having a cattle like, like for example when you invest in um you know like small or let's say micro illiquid mm -hmm. type companies do you think having a catalyst in mind is is sort of because they're small right they're not looked upon by a lot right. of people do you think having a catalyst in mind or what could make change happen is important to have yeah, I think it can be at times. So there, there's plenty of examples where you can think of a catalyst. And um, uh, so it also depends on how you define the catalyst. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the write-ups that we had on the site that wasn't by me is Computer Services, CSI. Um, that company has like a, pays like a 40% tax rate. Mm -hmm. It will in the future presumably pay a 25 28% tax rate, something like that. Sure. Right? So... Um, so it's going to have its earnings jump, mm -hmm. right? So you know that that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so the PE on it is really like 16 or something, not 20-something. Uh, is that like a known fact like. by the market since it's a dark, a dark stock? Right. It's, 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 it uh, probably not follow as much. Yeah, although for a um, stock that doesn't file with the SEC and stuff, it's very liquid. Mm -hmm. So is it known by the market or not? Well, I assume it is known by the market. It mm -hmm. should be known by the market. But it does mean that it shows up as having a PE of 20-something when it really has a PE in the, in the teens. Um, I, I don't know that it's an interesting question cause I wrote something about like, um, even big ad agencies and stuff mm -hmm. where there was no evidence that I could find that the market was, um, even when it knew that there was a tax cut pushing up the prices of the peers that would benefit from the tax cut more than the other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a, you know, but m you would think that the market should be efficient that way and, and be able to figure that stuff out. I, I don't know because when I look at stocks, I tend to see that people realize the stock is more expensive if it went up in price and realize it's cheaper if it went down in price. Sure. Mm -hmm. Rather than realizing that earnings went up and it stayed the same, yeah. made it cheaper. Mm -hmm. Or that earnings went down, things about the business went down. But I love that when I see the business improve, but the price doesn't change. Right. So that's something that happens. And, and I've talked about that with like um, Frost. So for many years, Frost got more and more deposits, but because the net interest margin was getting worse and worse with the Fed funds rate at zero, um, 
it wasn't earning anymore, mm-hmm. right? So then eventually what happens is that it's unleashed when the Fed starts raising rates. And so when the Fed start raising rates, it went from having like 0% earnings growth to having double-digit earnings growth. Sure. But really deposit growth didn't speed up at all during mm-hmm. that process. So that's the kind of thing that does the market realize these catalysts or not? And also the thing is like um, in some cases, I think it's useful to have catalysts when there's not an exact defined date on it. People seem to pay a very high price for something is going to happen soon and I know it. Sure. Versus some something I don't know exactly what is going to happen on an indefinite date in the future. Like there's a lot of options of something might happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So usually a very cheap stock combined with some possibilities of something happening. Yeah. I'd say is probably the most attractive. More than like a special situation where you know exactly Almost gonna, an arbitrage type thing. I was going to say, even if there's not a known catalyst, I mean, there's a lot of incentives for a cheap stock to work out. It's like, okay, the company could buy back stock. That could be a catalyst. Somebody, mm-hmm. a bigger investor could come in and buy up a lot of the company or, or push for change, like an activist or whatever, sure. showing that the company... So it's like Warren Buffett bought up Apple, 70 million more shares that pushed mm-hmm. the stock price back up because I guess that showed, oh, well, the Oracle probably thinks it's it's still cheap. So then, of course, mm-hmm. other people pile in. Yeah, and and so sometimes there's like more indefinite catalyst things. One night stock I wrote up, not as a stock that I liked at all, is the other part of um, Babcock and Wilcox. So Babcock and Wilcox broke off. There was Babcock and Wilcox Enterprises, and there's BWX Technologies. I own the BWX Technologies mm-hmm. part. The part that's had trouble is the Babcock and Wilcox Enterprises. Um, that part though had steel partners come in, had another activist come in owning a lot of the stock. So mm-hmm. this company is um, it had defaulted on something. So the company's in play and is a severely distressed stock. There's clearly catalyst there um, it, that things could change. So there's like a much higher probability of change happening there. They, someone had offered to buy the entire company at a price. So you know that kind of thing sometimes is is um, more likely not to be priced in fully by the market, I guess, than something that's more like that proxy battle I was describing mm-hmm. with Cornwall. Although, you know, the stock did jump, but they they won the election. So I I think at one point that stock was in the mid-90s and went to like yeah. 100. And I think it's at 108 now. Yeah, okay. So it went up at 10% or something probably on the mm-hmm. news of the the um, proxy battle uh-huh. being won, yeah. Interesting. Do you think, so what are other known catalysts that you like to typically see? I mean, are you okay holding it, going into a company if you think it's cheap and just absolutely a, a good company, even if there's not a known catalyst? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. what you just think, like over time, you're gonna make money because it's so cheap, or what? Mm-hmm. And because normally you don't see catalysts until it just happens. Why do people focus so much on catalysts? Is that like maybe funds because they have such such short term performance, like reporting? You think? Well, one, there are good mathematical reasons for doing it because you could make the money faster. So in sure. like a value type stock, if the yeah, company's that, that not compounding the value much, but it, it's trading at a 50% discount to what it would be worth or something in a in an auction process. Mm-hmm. If they say we're considering strategic alternatives, then the stock's going to jump. Sure. So yeah, that, that makes sense. For, that your annualized return will be a lot higher. Uh, but I tend to see that people really, really, investors really overvalue um, a clear narrative. So not just I'm going to make money in this stock, but here's why I'm going to make it by such and such a date. Sure. Mm-hmm. They really overvalue that versus maybe they'll buy back the stock. Maybe they'll pay a special dividend. Maybe they'll raise their regular dividend. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll recapitalize the stock. Maybe they'll be taken over by private equity. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a company that you don't see anything wrong with, but half of their market cap is in cash or something, 
that's very attractive. There's a lot of things that could go right. Right, but you don't know what it will be. Yeah, sure. All those things I described are more likely if your balance sheet is full of cash. It's kind of like Breeze Eastern, right? Right. I mean, the company was had a, a good amount of cash. It was a, mm-hmm. a pretty niche business and then was changing some things. It was very profitable. And then what ended up happening there? It got bought off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and you probably didn't foresee that happening when you first right. wrote well, about the well, company. Well, when we wrote them up, we knew that there were probably some shareholders who wanted out. But then actually, I mean, I mean, who wanted out in the sense that they couldn't sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, their positions were big, so it would be hard to sell in the market in a liquid stock. So it might eventually go private in some way or something. It was actually taken over by Transdyne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and for the people that do want to read it, go to focuscompound.com. Yeah. It is in the report section. Yeah, we've had several companies that have been bought out or mm-hmm. um, something like that. So, Which uh, clearly you don't ever foresee. But no. do you think that when you are going into generally cheaper stocks, that does happen probably more often, right? Yeah, I've said, I was interviewed recently by... Um, uh, but a newsletter about uh, over-the-counter stocks. Um, um, you were interviewed and you didn't tell me? I'm your publicist, I thought. <laughs> well, what's going on? It went out to, um, yeah, I know it went out to Focus <laughs> Compounding members. So yeah. if you were a Focus Compounding member as of that date, you would have gotten it. So join the memo list. I guess, yeah. There was, there was the memo list, right? It was on there. Okay, yeah. so it went along with the memo. Yep. So it's just a bonus thing. We didn't even tell people that no. that was happening. Yeah. But I was asked a question about whether the market's become more efficient in the time since I started as a teen. So I've been investing now for like about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, has the market become more efficient? And I said, um, no, except private equity. So really? like in a sense, I view my biggest competitor as being private equity. I'm looking at just as an individual investor buying individual stocks, but the problem that causes me the most difficulty in terms of making those opportunities disappear, become rarer over time, mm-hmm. has been private equity. Why do you say that? Because the stocks I'm interested in are yeah. the same ones they're interested in. And they've gone from, they used to pay EBD, but of five, six times and stuff to now they're happy paying 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So like things like breeze Eastern, things like IMS health mm-hmm. things. Like, I mean, it's constant that it's stocks that would be attractive um, because they have, they're usually, they don't have a lot of leverage. So you can put leverage on top of them. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of free cash flow. They're predictable. Um, private equity returns are a lot better in really small companies and really big deals too. Um, yeah. And I, I like, Things that are, you know, decent, predictable business at a low EVD EBITDA. And so do they. That's what they like, yeah, too. Yeah. Because what do they do, right? They buy in the company. They probably, mm-hmm. I mean, what? They probably change some things up because they want to get their IRR. Yeah. They and load then, it up with debt. They yep. pay out dividends and things. And I because mean, they're going to load it up with debt, they do, like, predictable free cash flow mm-hmm. general businesses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned uh, uh, Lifetime f- uh, Fitness when, when uh, was taken over. And... Um, that was a situation where they had owned a lot of land. Mm-hmm. They they bought the land and built uh, big gyms on it, and for a while. And so some of the land was held at at uh, lower prices, and they hadn't like mortgaged it all up as high as you could. They didn't carry as much debt. Uh, most gyms lease everything, so they were very under leveraged relative to other companies. So that's the kind of thing that would attract interest from private equity. Mm-hmm. Sure, interesting, interesting. Who wasn't? When was that? When did that that uh, buyout take place? Lifetime Fitness? Yeah. Was that a while ago? Or? Yeah. Because I know the report's on the website. Yeah. So it was in the 2013-2016 period when we were doing mm-hmm. that. Interesting. Yeah. So and, you, and there were others that were taken over before we could even write them up. Yeah. Oh, yeah so we wanted to- before. Yeah. We did research. Uh, so we were getting ready to do an issue on the fresh market, mm-hmm. which was, uh, w- went private. And um, also, uh, what was the other one we did? Oh, PetSmart. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you spent like a month doing research on mm-hmm. the company, and then before you put it yeah, out, they got bought, taken over. That was a major problem. I guess that proves. I guess that proved your thesis, uh, thesis correctly, right? 
Yeah, so that did happen a couple times. But what's interesting is only once or twice do we have a stock just jump by a huge amount before we could do the issue, uh-huh. just in the public market. That was rarer. But we would have a takeover. That would happen sometimes, sure. When you go into a stock and or before, like you have your thesis, do you ever think to yourself, why doesn't the market see what I see? Like, why is this idea right? Why do they see it different? That's a very good question. People ask me that all the time. Really? And I've been doing this for a while. I don't know why yeah. they don't see it or if they do see it. So I, you just kind of... I sometimes think that I'm guessing at, in, and then most people are guessing in terms of what they think that other people see in it or don't see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like trying to explain why something's cheap. Yeah. I don't... Like we've, we talked about Omnicom. I try to say, okay, well, it's these are the reasons people explain for why ad agencies are cheap. That might be it, but there might be, but you know, some of it may also be the stocks don't perform well for a while. They yeah. go into other things. Some people are shorting it because they want to short that and be long other things. Um, you know, I don't know exactly why. I assume that it's, you know, mostly for those reasons that we described there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's ever helped me, you know, trying to figure out what other people don't see in it. I, you know, I guess what you want to see normally is saying, well, what they, they're just waiting. Mm-hmm. So a stock where they're just not interested because it's going to take more time. Sure. Um, you usually that, but I don't know. I like, for instance, Babcock and Wilcox, when I bought it when, with the spinoff, I have no idea. Like I thought I saw something in it and I have no idea what other people didn't see in it. Mm-hmm. But it was three different businesses. One of them was losing money. One was cyclical and, and had a more bad future. Situation. And one yeah. had a good future. So I don't know. Hmm. Did people not see it? Did they not that interested in it? Did lots of people see it? And it was a smaller company, right? Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it's not a huge company, but mm-hmm. it it wasn't like any of the ones we're talking about in terms of how small it was. Um, so I don't. I'm not really sure. You know, but also things like Frost and stuff. When I look at what investors own it. There's not many investors who will just pick one bank and own it. Mm-hmm. So we wrote up a bunch of bank stocks that we liked more than other bank stocks. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is like um, there are a lot of investors who would own those banks, but they don't own a huge amount of all sorts of different banks. They wouldn't bet big on just certain specific regional banks. Like we liked a few regional banks a lot better. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I I mean, catalysts are a thing to look at. Um, I think value investors generally might over think it. Value- they might overvalue like the importance of catalysts. Mm-hmm. They say like like for instance, they often say that why would this stock go up? Mm-hmm. And it just does. I don't know how to explain. Do that you think catalysts you. are good if you're shorting? Like, what's going to be the catalyst to make the market realize that this company is a fraud or that this company is overvalued? Or I mean, that I could know. that could be. It. I, I, mean, I, I could mean, see I could see it on the short side. Sure, but sure. the the problem with that both ways is that there's like a perception built into it already. Sure. And so if things turn against you that way, there's an unwinding that's huge. Like as a good example be, let's say your catalyst you thought with Weight Watchers, you're shorting it, is that it's going to become insolvent. Yeah, then. If they get financing, then the stock's going to come shooting up. Sure. Because there's already people predicting that. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's the problem with all those those sorts of things. Um, I, I think catalysts are, I think it's very helpful to have a catalyst where management is trying to do things to make the stock um more about like like if you have a company that owns stock in other stocks or something, and it says we recognize that we're trading at a discount to uh, some of our parts or whatever, uh, and they talk about that discount and they say you know that's uh, we this is a number we track and we're gonna come up with ideas of how to deal with this and stuff. That's better than a company that never talks about it. Sure, you know. Mm-hmm. 
um, because they're aware of it and aware of doing things about that. So I, it's sometimes useful when companies, when management says that they don't think that they're well understood and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, but like I own NACO, I have no idea like what the catalyst is. Yeah. And I've listened to their earnings calls and stuff and what they've talked about. And, they, you know, they don't have a plan to, to do things in a a big way that'll, you know, unlock value soon. So, so like what, I've said before, that could be one you wait for a very long time. So what's your thought process with that? How will that value gap close? I have no idea. That one's a really interesting one because I'm not sure that many people understand it well. Uh, maybe they understand it better than I do and I'm wrong about it. Um, but I think generally that's not what I find. What I find is that most people don't really understand the business well. Mm. They could be right because I'm wrong about what the future of the business sure. will be, mm-hmm. but they're not that well. Uh, they don't under- really they don't understand exactly how the business works and stuff that well. So it's when someone doesn't understand how the business works that well, it's very hard to understand how efficient the market can sure. get in that yeah. stock for a while. Yeah, interesting. But if it trades on its own for five years. Um, and releases annual ports and letters and does yeah. presentations and things, then eventually it'll attract a different shareholder base, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they continue to build up the cash, right, in that situation, then sure. that could attract other value-oriented people and in theory. Yeah, they might show up on screens and things after a while and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think any spinoff in the first year can be pretty messy. Well, I mean, just... I think statistically that it has been. Mm-hmm. I think Joel Greenville even wrote about that, that the best time to buy spinoffs was a year after the spin. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, yeah, with NACO, I have no idea when and how it'll be. I said before, I think it'll get more liquid. I'm not sure if that will be true, but I think so. I mm-hmm. think it'll be more, less popular, less liquid and stuff. I imagine Hamilton Beach will be the one people are more interested in, but mm-hmm. but that stock hasn't done well or anything. So mm-hmm. it, it's hard to predict those things ahead of time. I think most people would have predicted that Hamilton Beach would have gone up more and NACO down. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Like initially, right sure. off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Any other thoughts on the topic? Nope. I think that, uh, you know, um, I mean, what do you think about like catalysts in terms of how much does that, I don't really think about it. Your, I don't like, really think about like, it much, quite honestly. Really? I mean, I think a catalyst in itself is, and it's, I guess by definition, not a catalyst, but if you're going to buy a cheap company, I think it's kind of like the incentives are there. And we've talked about this with mm-hmm. short selling. There's a lot of incentive there for that investment to work out, right? Management could buy back stock. Sure. It could show up more on screens, which attracts a different crowd. Uh, there's takeovers. Yeah, you know, so there's a lot there's a lot of incentives there for that type of investment to work out. Yeah, yeah. So one thing people might want to look for is just the potential exists, and there's reasons for management to want to do something about it versus stocks where that's not true. Mm-hmm. So if a stock's controlled by a certain family, they have a pile of cash, they really don't care about um, driving up the stock price or anything. You could say you shouldn't invest in that. Uh, you should be less likely to invest in that because it's not just that there's no catalyst, but they just don't have any interest in doing anything for a long period of time. Well, it's, right? it's completely different like with this type of investment we're talking than if you're an activist mm-hmm. where they're the catalyst, right? So they could come right. in, buy up a ton of the company, and then say, okay, we want you to cut costs to improve EBIT or EBITDA margins sure. or whatever. And then the way they financial engineer that is okay so they're gonna earn x and ebitda and then they price slap a multiple on the, oh this is where it should trade if we do right. this you know yeah so that's but that's complete financial engineering you know yeah but having a big cash pile will look like no catalyst at first mm-hmm. and then an activist will be attracted by that and that will be the catalyst yeah you know so mm-hmm. it'll look like a stock without a catalyst at first and then there will be a catalyst because of that interesting so i guess you can look for stocks with catalysts or with the potential that you can see where you're, it's not clear when or what will happen but that good things could happen yeah and you may want to avoid stocks where, for whatever reason, you feel like there aren't incentives in place to unlock shareholder value. Mm-hmm.
Interesting. Cool. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to our podcast today. You're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. You want to join our community of investors and other like-minded people writing and blogging about ideas, feel free to go to focuscompounding.com. Be sure to sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Focus Compound is mine and at Jeff Gannon is Jeff's. And the free part, if you want to get access to Jeff's weekly memos, go to focuscompound.com and on our homepage, you will see a place where you can subscribe to the distribution list. There's a lot of people on there. And at Sunday, you will receive a 500 plus word memo from Jeff on investing principle, which has been really popular and a lot of people have really enjoyed. So other than that, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.